All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. Um, so we are coming back, Joshua and I, off of a bit of a busy couple weeks, mm-hmm. um, which we mentioned in our in our last episode that we did in this series. Um, I was preaching on, on Psalm 34 uh, two weeks ago at River City, and Joshua mm-hmm. did Psalm 35 this week, and we hope to get... I've, I've put mine up. We hope to get both yeah. those uh, put up shortly. Um, so we, we were a bit busy now. We, we kind of want to get back into our, our series on, on the Bible, on God's Word, and understanding it. Um, so kind of what we've covered so far. Um, we've talked a lot about the characteristics of the Bible. Um, we've talked about the authority of Scripture. We've talked mm-hmm. about the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, um, all those kind of things. I do. I would encourage you guys to go to go back to listen to that. Um, we've talked a lot about the Christian worldview um, and how the Bible is the foundation uh, f- for knowledge and for objective knowledge claims. Mm-hmm. Um, we interacted with some other v- uh, other types of worldviews, and, and we did so. We did a critique of specifically the Darwinian um, atheistic worldview that yep. is really prominent. Um, so we've we've done a lot of that, and we've kind of tried to lay a and establish a foundation for, for, for God's word and, and how to look at it, how to view it, you know, the type of role that it's supposed to play in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what we want to do today is to, to get into a little bit of a series about how to read the Bible. Yep. Right. We want, we want to talk about how to study the scriptures, um, helpful, helpful things in, in reading them mm-hmm. and understanding them. Yeah, I, I'll just say one thing too. I think both of Jackson and I believe think it's very necessary that we start with maybe a little bit more dense density on what is the Bible, uh, what do we believe about it, what is true about it. Uh, because just as when we build a building, we have to make sure we have a firm and a steady foundation. And for us as Christians, the foundation of our salvation is Christ, and that is found out through the Word of God, the Bible. Um, so we need to really have that shirt up. We need to have a good idea or else when someone comes along and asks us, where is your ultimate authority? Where do you say that Jesus, where do you get the idea that Jesus is Lord? Well, we have to point back to the scriptures and be assured that they are true. Yeah. And so oftentimes just in the way that we live our lives, we express either with our words or our actions, what we believe is the highest authority in our Mm -hmm. life. Um, and if it's not God's word that comes out pretty quickly in our actions, or if we, if we, you know, um, we, we live in a culture that's changing in a society that's constantly changing its, its views on things, on issues, um, on all sorts of things. And, and what, what we have, what we have as Christians is objective truth and revelation from God in the Bible. Mm Mm-hmm from God in the Bible. And that forms the foundation of our, of our, of our knowledge. The Bible teaches that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge. We have objective and true revelation from God mm-hmm. that is to guide our lives. Um, and, and to, to be an authority in the world and in the church. Mm-hmm. And that is that objective revelation that forms the basis for the authority for how we view these issues not the culture that's around us um not not the changing things we've talked a lot on this podcast about how culture and society changes it changes on moral issues Mm -hmm. um it changes on 
on many things we've talked about, like, for example, the Holocaust or, or uh, antebellum slavery, instances in which society in general approved of a certain act that we all know to be objectively wrong and that God's word says to be yep. objectively wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, I- if we form our morality <coughs> or, or our system of, of what is right, what is wrong, what is okay around social or societal consensus, mm-hmm. then we have a problem because that changes. And in the past, it's, it's been, I- it's done, it's, it's approved of things that are clearly mm-hmm. objectively wrong. Yep. So the Bible gives us that foundation to make objective truth claims. Um, and that, that's, that's, a l- so that's a lot of what we've talked about before. I'd encourage you guys to go back yeah. and listen to that. We want to get into, um, how to read the Bible today. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully this will be maybe a little bit less dense, um, a little bit more conversational. That's yeah. kind of our, our hope in this. Um, but just as much as, you know, we think that is something that's often missed today. Um, this issue of reading and understanding the Bible is something that we, you know, 2000 years removed from, uh, from from the, the writing of the, of the New Testament, really 3,500 years removed from uh, start of the writing, of the, the start of the writing of the Old Testament, there is this challenge for us in in how to read the Bible, mm-hmm. right? There is a, a bit of a challenge for us in understanding the Bible, and I think we have some misconceptions about the Bible. Yep. So today, specifically, what we're going to talk about when it comes to reading and understanding the Bible is we're going to talk about a few things that that help us to do that. Uh, the first one is going to be context. We're going to talk a lot about about context, and we're going to talk a lot about genre, mm-hmm. literary genres that exist in the Bible. And so much, so much misinterpretation happens yep. from misunderstanding one of these two things. Yep. And we're going to talk about that a, a bit as we go. So first of all, we want to talk about about context, and we've talked about this before, um, but the Bible was not fallen out of the sky from from heaven mm-hmm. uh, and, and dropped in our laps as we see it today, right? The Bible came about God speaking through men and using normal and ordinary historical means and circumstances to produce revelation about himself, right? Mm-hmm. So each book of the Bible existed in a historical context. Um, it exists in a literary context, mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we're to understand and to, to aid our interpretation of the Bible, then it is very helpful that we understand the context involved. Um, that is not to say that we can't read the words on the page and, and they aren't plain and, th- and they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but it is to say that we help ourselves in, in keeping ourselves from error when we understand proper context. So to give an example of this, I remember the first time I read a Bible and just the culture we live in, everybody knows or has ideas about the Bible, right? We we all have ideas about the Bible, but I grew up um, and I didn't really have a a good understanding of what the Bible is, how to read it. But, you know, I grew up on on social media and and Mm -hmm. all I ever saw or or thought about, you know, you scroll through social media and if you see or get some idea of the Bible, you get a verse. Yep. Right. So everybody's posting, a, you know, a verse of the Bible or someone might have a tattoo of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the way that when that happens, the way that we tend to view the Bible and the way that I tended to view the Bible was the Bible is a collection 
of individual verses. Mm-hmm. And it really makes God like a genie in a bottle for us. We kind of get to choose the verses we like that make us feel good, or right. uh, and we miss the context. Well, yeah, as and, well. and and we get to pluck pluck a verse out of a book, out of a part of the Bible, and you know. It, it, well, isn't this obvious what this says? Like you, you read the verse disconnected from everything and it yeah. says this. Um, and, and that leads to a lot of misinterpretation, a lot of misunderstanding of the book. And we still we still do that. We tend to mm-hmm. even even when I first read the Bible, I'm reading it. And what I'm what I'm doing is I'm I'm missing so much of the larger story that's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And I'm missing so much of the big picture because what I'm really focused on is is like oh man, I like what this verse says mm-hmm. or like what this passage says. And what I, and what I was doing is I'm, is I'm taking that in itself and disconnecting it from the broader storyline of the Bible and the broader context of the book that it's in. Mm-hmm. So each one of these, these Bible verses that we so often see, for the first thing we have to, have to understand is that they exist within a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So they fall into a, a category of a, of a book in the Bible. So, so for example, like in the letters of Paul, you know, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and those letters, um, if you pull something out of there mm-hmm. and you miss the rest of what the book is saying, you're going to have a really, you know, you, you know you're, you're leaving it to serious misinterpretations mm-hmm. uh, of what Paul might teach. Because Paul, and we're going to talk about genres a, li- a bit later, but in Paul's letters, he's writing very didactically. He's teaching. There's a lot of doctrine. Um, and there's a lot of instruction mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and the book has a general flow or a general general sort of argument to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the verses exist within a broader argument mm-hmm. or a broader frame of thinking. And so to understand that verse and really what it's saying, we need to understand the context that it's in, the, the, the bigger argument that Paul is making. Um, it's helpful to understand the book and the, the audience who he's writing to things like that but but what's important to understand is that and the point i'm trying to make is that these verses of the bible exist both within the book that they're written in which is an important context Mm -hmm. and they exist within the larger storyline and the larger frame of the bible itself right yep yeah i would say too like (coughs) the goal of the goal of reading scripture is not just to know it the goal is to do it to live it out to apply it in our lives but in our culture, we often read the Bible simply to apply it. When the process that should be, we should be going through is to first properly understand it to its original audience so that we can apply it correctly. Because a lot of times, I remember when I first came to NDSU, uh, I was a part of a Bible study. And what we did is we picked, we picked a gospel and we said, let's read this. We'll read chapter, a couple verses at our Bible study, and then we'll put out, point out what we like about it. And I think a lot of Bible studies are like that. Mm-hmm. When the goal of a Bible study is what? It's in the term. It's to study the Bible. It's not to come together, read a passage, and say what we like about it. It's to figure out what is this text saying. Uh, and, and that takes work, but... Psalms 1 tells us this, there is blessing in meditating on and knowing and delighting in the word of God. And we can only do that when we actually spend time working through and and jumping over those hurdles we have of the historical difference, the time difference, the the language difference in which this this Bible was written in, which, thank God, we have English translations that help us do that. Um, But the goal is to apply scripture 
but that is not the step we should jump to right away. Yeah, so often, so often I think, you know, we have this tendency to look to look at the Bible and to pick out and try to find verses that, you know, and, and this I hate even saying this, but but let like inspire us in some way. Yeah. Right? That give us inspiration and actually and what they really do is they feed into our narrative mm-hmm. and are they serve our purposes and our our worldview that we have, which we're at the center of. Yep. Instead of viewing the Bible for what it is, which is you know, we talked about the Westminster Confession, the scope of the Bible is to give glory to God, mm-hmm. it's to reveal God. And and you know, when when we discuss application of the Bible or, or purpose of the Bible, we should not view it as, okay, this was written to give me inspiration at this point or, or to yeah. feed into my narrative, but I am to submit myself to what the Bible is teaching. Yeah. And, and the, the way that I view application is that, you know, the, the, the many times throughout the Bible, there are commands made and, and, and promises made and we are to submit to, to, to that lifestyle. Paul and, and Jesus exhort us to live certain ways mm-hmm. and what our application really should look like is submitting to those ways and, and taking overall biblical teaching to teach us how to live godly lives, yeah. not to inspire us, um, you know, to, to, to work harder or, you know, to inspire us into thinking that, that I can do all things, you know, through Christ who strengthens me mm-hmm. um, and taking, you know, that, that's probably the, the prime example of yeah. a verse taken out of context and used for a wrong meaning. So, you know, everybody's got the, you know, Philippians 4.13 in their Twitter bio or tattooed on them or, or something like that. Or Jeremiah 29.11. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you get a lot of verses like that. And, um, you know, you, you just take this verse that that has this, you know, very seemingly general and vague promise in it. And you separate it from the context in which it's in mm-hmm. and the author's original intention in writing it. And you you essentially you miss what the the point of the verse is yep and who it's to and, and a prime example of that that, that is so often is in philippians 4 13 and, and what's interesting is if you understand the context of the book of philippians paul is in prison mm-hmm. for preaching the gospel and he's in prison for living a godly life and trying to obey christ and and preaching about obedience to christ and because he would not shut up mm-hmm. about Jesus being the only way to salvation. Yep. He wouldn't shut up about Jesus being the only way to salvation and he wouldn't stop preaching repentance and and, and salvation by faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And he was put in prison for that and he was he was often beaten and he often suffered many times. So he's writing this letter from a prison cell. Mm-hmm to this church in Philippi, encouraging them about how he, and really as we get into chapter four, about how he is able to find contentment and able to find joy in all circumstances of life, specifically in circumstances and in contexts where he is suffering, tortured, tortured either from persecution or from lack of having physical things. Mm-hmm. So e- even just a, a, a cursory reading of the things that are immediately before that passage 
um, in, in Philippians 4.13, if you go back two verses, in verse 11, it starts, says, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have lear- learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he goes on, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in, in giving and receiving except you only. And he goes on to talk about some other things, but, but the importance being, Paul is, is writing specifically about his ability to endure suffering mm-hmm. and to endure um, having abundance in his life he, and, and to learn to be content not with the things that he has physically or the way that he is treated socially, but the salvation that he has in Christ and the trust that he has in God and God's promises and and God's favor towards him. Yeah, so I just want to be a little clear here what it doesn't mean. What that verse doesn't mean is that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength means that I can get a job promotion. It means that I can get a touch or throw a touchdown pass, had to have a good game, be the best athlete. It does not mean that in its context. It means what Jackson just said. And if you go through social media, you even look at some of the devotional books that are out there today. A lot of the time, scriptures are pulled out and applied in that way when the context just doesn't jive at all with those things. Mm. Yeah, and this is, I mean, what's important to understand too, as we read scripture and as we look at and analyze certain verses of scripture, certain passages, it's important that we understand um, what is the what is the thrust of the Bible in general? Like what what is what does the Bible teach? At any point, does the Bible teach us that God is going to, or that God promises us, um, you know, success in a career or or uh, popularity mm-hmm. or fame, or does he promise us, um, this ma- material? Yeah. Does he promise us material blessings? Mm-hmm. No, but we have a narrative going on in our head that we want those things. We desire those mm-hmm. things. And we come across a verse in the Bible, we take it out of context and, and we see this general vague promise. And we immediately wrongly apply that to ourselves and our desires that are not godly desires. And that the Bible does not teach that we should have the, the nowhere nowhere does the bible or or does god through his word make any promises of, of that nature mm-hmm. that and process is called eisegesis by the way yep when we read stuff into the text or we're looking we're reading for something that is going to affirm what we believe right when it when what we should be doing is coming to the text and say what is this saying yep and as i figure out what it's saying exegetically exegesis is the term for that how does it apply to my life yeah so instead of reading things into the text, we are supposed to draw things out of the text That's and from from the meaning of the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, what what becomes really tragic about this um, is not only that individual Christians do this, but oftentimes, and you see mm-hmm. this a great deal in, in many churches in the country, there is preaching mm-hmm. that reflects this style of of biblical study yep. um, and this style of interpretation, where I come to a text with ideas already in my mind and I, I, I have a, you know, and often preachers do this and this is why we, we talk about 
you know, preaching topically versus preaching yes. expositionally, because the danger in preaching topically where the preacher decides the topic and, and can speak about whatever it is that, that he wants to, the danger in doing that is that this is that, that preacher is coming with an idea already in his mind and is coming to a, a text and oftentimes pulling it out of the context that it's in and saying, I'm going to use this to support my idea that I already have in my mind. Yeah, and topical preaching isn't wrong. We're not saying that. But if your church is primarily doing topical preaching, that may be a red flag. Yeah, it, it runs into danger, and it runs it runs into this. So topical preaching can be done well mm-hmm. um, when it, it's guarded or it's guided by proper exegesis, which is taking out of the text what it means and a proper understanding of of context um, and, and the things surrounding context. So you certainly can do it well, mm-hmm. um, but there is much danger at times in it where instead of, you know, when I, when I work through a book of the Bible, I can't just pull out the things that I like and yep. I can't just preach on only the things I want. Mm-hmm. I preach on what all of God's word is teaching in that book. Yeah. And we, our church is going through the Psalms. We go through the Psalms in the summer and we have been for the past three years. We probably never, ever would have preached Psalm 35 if it weren't for us going through the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Because Psalm 35 is a Psalm where David is asking God to kill and destroy his enemies. What message does that have that's uplifting for us? And yet, it is the Word of God. And we should preach it as such. Yeah, it's an emphasis on, on God's on God's justice, um, His wrath, on God's wrath, uh, and and we'll we'll talk a little bit more ab- about some of that when we get into genre later. But um, what's important to understand is not just in 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 preaching, but also in, in studying the Bible. It's very important to understand mm-hmm. context. Yep. Um, and it's very important to to study the Bible not as a collection of verses, but as books. Yep. So so when you go to, to do Bible study, when you go to do other things, um, please consider, or, or when you're just doing Bible reading on your own, is, is study a whole book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So take some of Paul's letters, or take a gospel, and don't just bounce around, but read through the whole thing, and understand what Paul's argument is, maybe do some research on, on the context, and, and if you're looking for, you know, great ways to do this um fortunately for us you know there's people that that do this and and make great resources Mm -hmm. for understanding biblical context and other things one of those that was really helpful for me when i first read the bible was the bible project Mm -hmm. so they make videos um short videos which are you know they have great illustrations but they explain Mm -hmm. so much about the context of the book that you're studying the, the genre of the book what the what the purpose of the book is mm-hmm. you know they help you to understand where it fits in the larger biblical narrative and in the larger biblical story so you know p- you know consider in your own bible reading if you're doing that oh man it is so helpful mm-hmm. to understand books of the bible by understanding context and for what i would suggest if you're looking for a simple and a good way to do that is to go and go on youtube and, and find the bible project and their videos mm-hmm. um, where they do these overviews and you know I, I would what i would say is i would say watch those before you read a book then read the book and then watch it again after yeah and as you do that you know you, you'll you'll begin to to understand and and 
to practice and to get better at reading the Bible contextually. Mm-hmm. And further than that, you know, as we look at context, one one thing about the Bible and, and understanding it is that the Bible teaches doctrines, mm-hmm. right? The Bible teaches teaches things that we can know and, and put together. Um, and what the Bible teaches in one place is not going to contradict with what the Bible teaches yeah. in another place. So as we study the Bible, we begin to formulate what's called a systematic theology, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, we know what the Bible teaches about certain topic. Like I know, like to say, to say a doctrine, for example, I, 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 I can read and study what the Bible teaches about salvation. Mm-hmm. And then I formulate a doctrine of salvation. That's a summary of biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the atonement, for example, we could, we could read through the Bible and we could study the atonement and we could see what the Bible teaches about atonement. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, well, what that helps us do is that also helps guide our interpretation. Because if I know that what the Bible teaches um, in this place or, or consistently, then I know what the Bible is not teaching in this place. And yep. I know that it's not going to contradict. Yep. And one of the most prominent examples of this is, you know, you know the, the debate between James, James and Paul on justification by faith. Paul, in all of his letters, he just hammers home this idea of justification by faith. And he's specifically talking about uh, saving faith before God and, and standing before God. Um, and, and Paul says that we are saved, that, that we are declared uh, righteous in front of God on the basis of faith and not on the basis of works. And then James, as he writes um, in James chapter 2, and this is a really controversial subject, but but James um, approaches the topic and he talks about justification by faith. And he talks about how... Uh, the role that works play in that because mm-hmm. there's this contrast between faith and there's and, and works and, and and justification and paul teaches so uh, so much and so thoroughly but that, that justification is only by faith and it's not by works mm-hmm. and james if you take the verse out of out of context it seems to say that james is opposing what paul has previously taught and this is in james 2 but if you understand the context of James and the question that, that James is ad- is addressing and the type of faith that James is talking about, James is talking about a faith that is accompanied by no works at all. Hmm. A faith that is accompanied by no works at all. And his primary point is to say that that faith does not save. That that is not a saving faith. That is not a faith that by which we are justified before God. Mm-hmm. But a true faith, a true saving faith, is accompanied with good works that the Bible calls us to. It is accompanied with obedience to Christ mm-hmm. and, a, and it's accompanied with obedience to the word of God. So Paul is specifically talking about a saving faith that saves us. And, and, and on that basis, we're justified before God. And James is fighting a, against a, a different misinterpretation mm-hmm. is that he's, he's fighting against a dead faith, mm-hmm. a faith that, that actually has no bearing on actions in life. And, and so we look at that issue. That, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. So throughout the Bible, we have this doctrine of salvation by faith in Christ, mm-hmm. not by works. Right? Yep. We have this doctrine of salvation by faith in Christ, not by works. Think of like Ephesians 2.8. This is by grace you are saved um, through faith apart from works. This is not of yourselves. It's God's gift. Yep. So we have this doctrine about how mm-hmm. salvation is by faith. And we come to this passage in James. And if we take it at face value and we... 
remove from it the context that it's in, it seems to formulate for us a contradiction. Yeah. But if we have a, a proper systematic theology and an understanding, and if we look at the context of what James is talking about, it becomes pretty clear that James and Paul are dealing with different issues and that, that James is not arguing that we're saved on something other than our faith, but he's, he's arguing that a true faith, a true and a saving faith is accompanied with works and with obedience to Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an example of, you know, understanding context and, and, and having a systematic theology and, and knowledge of what the Bible teaches. Right. And yep. I think one more example of this that is prominent, and then we'll move on to genre, but even how we understand words, you know, even how we understand words that, that are being used. So for example, you know, even in English, we have this problem where words have meaning depending on the context that they're in. Yep. So we have many words that, that are the same word, but they mean different things depending on the context mm-hmm. they're in. And it's the same way in Greek often. So for example, you know, Paul talks about righteousness. Mm-hmm. And when Paul talks about right righteousness, he's talking about it in the context of salvation. And what he's talking about is a righteousness before God, mm-hmm. meaning that God is 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 he sees our righteousness and sees it worthy of being in heaven. And, and what we realize in Paul's gospel is it's not our righteousness that we have that gets us into heaven. It's the righteousness of Christ that is applied to us. Mm-hmm. You know, think of second Corinthians five twenty one. It says that he made him, God made him Jesus mm-hmm. who knew no sin to be sin in order that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ is applied to us. And on that basis, we have salvation. So when Paul uses this term righteousness in the context of salvation, he means something different, for example, than David often does in the Psalms. Because mm-hmm. David often talks about this word righteous and, and he'll you know, talk about you know the, the righteous people in the land. Mm-hmm. And he'll say of himself, like, you know, um, God, look on your, your righteous servant. Mm-hmm. And when David uses that term, he's not talking about the type of righteousness that Paul is talking about. Yeah. Um, he's not talking about, you know, some idea that, that he's never sinned, that he's only lived a perfect life, and that God should reward him based on his merits. But overall, he's really talking about the righteous as being those who display a pattern of right living, a pattern of right living, and, and specifically, you know, oftentimes it's in their circumstances mm-hmm. that they are righteous. They're not at fault. They're, you know, you think of David's life, and oftentimes he's mm-hmm. suffering not because of sin, but he, but he's innocent in his suffering. He's yep. he's righteous in relation to his circumstances, not in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. So, what's important to to understand there too is even words and their meaning, yep. and and how the biblical authors use them in context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think the last thing, then we'll move move on to genre here is, <coughs> if you're a Christian who has not read through the Bible entirely from front to back this is something we would highly encourage you to do do it this year there's bible plans you read in a year Um, and the reason is is because the old testament is the old testament and new testament they form one book and it's called the bible and they tell of the same story Mm -hmm. and you can't get the so in in our culture even in the church a little bit some people actually say, ah, the Old Testament isn't really that useful for us anymore. It's just the New Testament. But you cannot understand the New Testament without the background of the Old. 
So I would just say we highly encourage you, if you haven't read through the Bible at all, if you're a Christian and you haven't done it, uh, we would strongly encourage you to do so because the things that are talked about in the New Testament are built upon the writers of the, the New Testament. They were Jews. Almost all of them were Jews. And so their background and what they're saying is the Old Testament. Yeah, uh, yeah. essentially everything that they're, that they're writing and the way that they're explaining and the, the way that they're proving their arguments is by quoting from the Old Testament. And this is, you know, this is, you know, even even in even in the work of Christ, it, it always talks about there's this emphasis that, yep. you know, he, he died in accordance with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. He suffered in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised in accordance with the scriptures. So this this whole, you know, this whole plan of salvation in Christ was promised in the Old Testament. It was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, like if you if you study and understand the Old Testament properly, just like the New Testament authors did, you can actually see pretty clearly everything that you need to know about salvation and, and everything you need to know about the work of Christ either prefigured or directly prophesied mm-hmm. beforehand. Yep. So the Bible tells a unified story and, and yeah, um, if you guys haven't done that, please take, take a Bible in a year reading plan mm-hmm. and take some time to do it. Um, man, that's, that, that's essentially what that's I did. That's how you were saved. Yeah. <laughs> that's essentially what I did. And that has, I mean, remarkably changed my life mm-hmm. um so that is context and the importance of context the next thing we're going to talk about is is biblical genres mm-hmm. right and, and you know in the society we live in you know oftentimes we think that we're very advanced um and, and we are in many ways but we're definitely not used to, to literary genres are our, pretty much our the extent of our literary genres is you have fiction books and you have non-fiction books mm-hmm. essentially um and, and you have poetry stuff like that um and and oftentimes we have this notion that the bible or the biblical authors are archaic uh they're old um the men th- they're, they're nothing dumb yeah th- there's not th- they they can't speak to our uh intellectual modern man today mm-hmm. um with all that he knows about technology and about and about science and, and these other things um well, what's actually and, and it's actually kind of ironic because when when you talk to a lot of people this question arises or or this concern arises well i just it's really hard for me to understand the bible mm-hmm. and it's interesting because <laughs> the, the the writing of these of these biblical authors that lived 2000 3000 years ago actually it, it makes such use of literary genres and, and such mm-hmm. use of literary devices that it's often too difficult. Like it's hard for us to understand because of its perplexity, yep. not because of its simplicity, but because it's perplexed for us. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it has a wide variety of genres that we're not used to. Yep. And we don't know how to under, understand them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- like, it's just, it's just interesting because the problem is not that the biblical authors, and, and, you know, God writing through these men, mm-hmm. that it's not profound enough for us. The issue sometimes being is that we, we have a hard time understanding it because it's it's too perplex. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I, th- I think that just sheds some light on, on actually, like, when it comes to literature and, and literary devices and literary genres, we've certainly regressed from you know the, yep. the the culture that existed around 
around the time when when Jesus was living and the prophets beforehand. Because you read the Bible and there is remarkable poetry, um, mm-hmm. beautiful poetic expressions, and that 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 provoke trust in God, that that offer praise to God, uh, that cry out to help for God. Um, you know, there's beautiful symmetrical poetry. There's parallelisms. There's mirrorism. There's all of these literary devices the, the poem the psalm that i preached on was an acrostic mm-hmm. poem for example where each each verse begins with the successive letter of the hebrew alphabet mm-hmm. so it's a poem with this with this beautiful structure that was meant to offer praise to god that follows this outline and has all of these poetic expressions and literary devices um and it's and it's remarkable to look at and to study and to think of the complexity of these authors and the way that they were able to to compose this beautiful type of, of literature and genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so so with that, you know that that's just a little bit about you know that that's kind of a side rant. Um, but when we when we read the Bible, it's important to understand the genre of the book that we're reading. Yep. You know, for example, and we have a lot of problems with this today, but you know we read Paul's letters. And oh, it's it's straightforward to us. It makes sense. It's easier for us to read. Paul is not speaks our modern language. Yes, Paul, <laughs> Paul is not um, very precise. Beating around the book, beating around the bush. He's very precise. He's presenting arguments, and there's a logical, logical flow. He, he's not, um, you know, using any sorts of, sort of slang. He's very straightforward, mm-hmm. um, and it's intended to be. And now we we go back in the Old Testament and we look at something like the Book of Revelation. And what our tendency to do is to to try to read that the same way that we would read Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is these are entirely different genres of mm-hmm. literature with entirely different purposes. So you can't read every book of the Bible in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that the words don't have meaning or they're not saying what, what, what they're saying, but it means that we have to take note of genre. And there's a wide array of, of literary genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go through a few and we're going to try to give um, just some some basic understanding, some tips about how to read them, what's going on in them, um, and, and stuff like that. And hopefully it'll be helpful. So the first one that, that we're going to look at is, you know, reading historical narrative in the Bible. So, so much of the Bible is historical. Um, and what's important when we do this is that when we're reading a historical narrative the tendency for us to do is to think, um, okay, this is, when I read this, this is describing or, or giving teaching about how I'm supposed to live, right? When that's really not the purpose. No. A historical narrative in the genre of historical narrative. So, for for example, you know, you could think of books like Kings, Chronicles, um, sections of Genesis and Exodus, uh, Judges, Joshua, the purpose of that is that it's describing historical events that have happened and it's recording those historical events as they took place. It's not necessarily for um, the specific purpose of, of teaching and instruction. And it, it does do that. We draw application from it, yep. but that's not its primary purpose. Yep. I, its primary purpose is explaining what historically happened and, and even in the gospels we see this there's a lot of sections of the gospels that are that are intended for teaching mm-hmm. that are intended for putting forth doctrine but but much of it is explaining the life of jesus what happened in the life of jesus 
Um, it's it's explaining historical events as they took place mm-hmm. accurately. Yep. Yeah, and uh, so historical narrative, what you'll find is a lot of times it's not going to give, uh, it's not going to lend or kind of point you in one way of whether th- the thing being described was good or bad because they're simply just stating what happened. Um, so you'll see that a lot in historical narratives. Yeah, so you see characters in historical narrative. You know, you see people like Abraham, Moses, David. David. You see examples of those. And, and one misinterpretation we often get, um, or you often see, is, okay, well, I read that David did this, mm-hmm. and that means that, okay, this is okay, and we should and do this. And it, the Bible also says that he was a man after God's own heart. Yep. So, so therefore, we should do everything that David does. Yeah. <laughs> and that's 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 not true. That That's a, a really prominent misconception. The, the Bible is not concerned necessarily with telling us to live exactly like, like David did. And there's examples where David, mm-hmm. you know, he, he lives within, you know, the way that God calls us to live. And we should emulate his faith, his trust in God, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But there are often, you know, there's so many times that David screws up yep. and we you know we tend to read that and we see what this guy after god's own heart who is this guy what Seriously, is yeah. and and we think that that this might be um prescriptive for us that mm-hmm. okay i should live like david um david did this is this saying that i should live like this mm-hmm. and we miss the point that that it's it's explaining to us what happened and not telling us specifically how we should live mm-hmm. well, you know we, it's not saying that we should emulate david in all of our ways or emulate abraham in all of our ways or moses in all of our ways Mm -hmm. um things like that so so we do have to be careful in reading historical narrative Mm -hmm. that we are not um the the character of the bible that we're following is jesus and not david not abraham Mm -hmm. not moses um and you know if we're looking specifically for instruction and how to live the live a christian life you know, if you read Paul's epistles, generally, Paul gives a lot of a lot of explanation and doctrine in the beginning, and then he gives a lot of application in the end. Mm-hmm. So, if you're looking for, you know, what what it looks like, what the Bible actually is calling us to live like, and ex- exhorting us, commanding us to do, mm-hmm. oftentimes Paul's letters are going to be a good place for that. Yeah, you can think of historical narratives in this way: they are descriptive and not prescriptive. So when we read the book of Acts or when we read Genesis or some of those narratives where we see David or Abraham or different people doing things, uh, they are primarily describing. So our first inclination should not be when we're reading historical narrative, I should be doing this too Mm -hmm. because they're not prescribing anything. Now we can glean glean things from those things and see how they can apply to a godly life. Uh, but they are descriptive primarily, and there may be some parts of it that are prescriptive mm-hmm. for our life. And we should always check that against mm-hmm. other areas of the Bible that are more clear on on any given topic. Yep. Um, so yeah, that that's historical narrative. That's a lot of the Gospels. It's Acts. Um, it's a lot of sections of the Old Testament. Yep. Um, the other another one that can be a little bit uh, different for us. We're going to talk now about prophetic literature. Um, specifically prophetic literature and, and much of this you find in the Old Testament um, you find with the, the big prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel a large section of the Bible is, is dedicated to prophetic literature and in, uh, specifically in the Old Testament when it talks about about prophecy we have this notion that that it's just you know 
it, it's predicting the future mm-hmm. um and that's all that it's concerned about um and, and you know under understanding prophetic literature is, is a bit nuanced mm-hmm. um but but primarily what's going on in the old testament prophets is is they they are in a context mm-hmm. um god raises up prophets in the midst of the nation of israel to deliver a message from him to the people in that context right and it's not just about proclaiming future events to come that certainly is a, is a part of it it's an aspect of it but it's it's proclaiming divine a divine message and in, in the divine word of god and, and oftentimes that comes you know with the context that's immediate mm-hmm. to its hearers and oftentimes it comes with a prophetic element um wi- which which is looking forward uh to, to future times and, and future days and, and future things that that god is going to accomplish and oftentimes we see in in the prophets um you know just the literary style of the prophets is they're often very poetic so there's a lot of metaphors there's a lot of of, of imagery um th- you know things describing other things there's a lot of of parallelism um there's a lot of like satire uh mm-hmm. stuff like that there, there's a lot of literary devices being used to proclaim this message mm-hmm. um yeah and i'd say too i i find a definition of prophecy that's really helpful is not so much focusing on uh, the prophesying of future events to come to pass, but primarily being the proclamation of the word of God. Because even when we look at the books of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, where we see them proclaiming things that will happen in in the future, they're only doing that after God says, say this. So they're simply proclaiming what God has revealed to them. And I think that's really helpful when we think about prophecy and prophetic literature is yes they talk about things that may come to pass in the future but they're doing that in the context of proclaiming what god has revealed yeah and oftentimes i mean mean that that is certainly an important element of it Mm -hmm. um but oftentimes god sent prophets you know we we think of them as as only proclaiming the future but man they had a message for the people of their time i mean if you want to read some like you know, if you want to read some like scathing um, mm-hmm. denunciations of, of culture and, and sin. Of, of sin, mm-hmm. you read the Old Testament prophets and you read about what God says to the nation of Israel through his prophets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you read about the sin and the idolatry of the nation of Israel and God sending these prophets to speak against that society mm-hmm. and against that culture and to call them back to their covenant God, uh, to call them back to the to the task of of righteousness and, and of justice. Um, so yeah, so there, there's, there's, there's this so much, there's this, there's both of these elements where there is an immediate context and the prophets are sent to declare these things to the people that they are with. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes to write them down and, and to give a future um, prof- prophetic element looking yeah. forward um, God promising through his prophets that he's going to bring salvation in Christ, that mm-hmm. that this is going to be the result of that, all of these things. Um, but but very much so there is a a an immediate context in which which it exists in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just it's so often, you, you know, you see what what the emphasis of God is in the prophets mm-hmm. so much. And, and the prophets w- would call out the nation of Israel on their hypocrisy, on their false 
religious worship and would call them to repentance and to true godliness and and to justice for the oppressed justice for the poor mm-hmm. um actually to living godly lives yep. and and so examples of that you know that's that's isaiah ezekiel um it's jeremiah and then it's the minor prophets uh you know think of guys like Haggai, Habakkuk, um, Zechariah, Zephaniah, um, Malachi, a lot of those type of books. You know, they had an immediate context, but often they they had a prophetic future element to them as well. Um, And actually, I spent this summer reading a lot of the minor prophets, and it was really, really fruitful and fun. Um, (coughs) So moving on to kind of Mm -hmm. another category we see in the Bible, um, and it kind of falls underneath the genre of, of prophetic literature but it's specifically apocalyptic literature mm-hmm. uh, and oh boy this is probably the <laughs> one genre that people um you just see misused the most yep. um you know for example the book of revelation is specifically an apocalyptic type mm-hmm. of literature it comes from that word apocalyptic comes from a greek word it's used in revelation one it says this is john says this is the apocalypsos given to john mm-hmm. um and the point of that is, I, and that's where we get this name for, for apocalyptic literature. It comes from that word. And you see that the nature of, of apocalyptic literature is, is oftentimes it is dealing with, with future events that are to come. You, know, you see other examples of it in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, you see them in Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you see some in Zechariah too. So, yeah. And And John heavily draws on these. Mm-hmm. He draws on these heavily, but the specific distinction of apocalyptic literature is that that it it comes in like not just in a, in a message that's delivered by the mouth, but it comes to the prophet in visions Mm -hmm. generally. Um, And it's like the primary nature of it is is that it's very symbolic. Mm -hmm. So there's symbols that come in it that represent real things, but, but it's symbols that represent things. Mm -hmm. So when we, the problem we have today is that we look at the apocalyptic literature like the the book of revelation and we don't have a category for this in our minds we don't mm-hmm. we don't have literature like this that we often read and we think that you know we want to read it like it's one of paul's epistles mm-hmm. when it exists in a totally different genre mm-hmm. it's entirely different um it, it's meant to be symbolic you know it's meant to portray real truths and mm-hmm. real events Absolutely. but it does so in a symbolic way mm-hmm. um so you know when when you read when you read uh you know there's certain parts of ezekiel uh there's parts of daniel and zechariah and especially when you read revelation please know that, that the the purpose of it is not that it's it's meant to be read exactly literally but it's meant to, to give symbolic vivid imagery of things generally in the future yeah and that are to come i think the other part of this too is especially i think this is especially true with the book of revelation uh you aren't reading a chronological account of what the end of time is going to look like so when you read from revelation 1 to revelation is it 21 or 22 i can't remember how 22 22 you are what you're reading through is you can think of like different angles of the same event that's going to come to pass and we could get into kind of more of the nuances of how people read through Revelation differently in ap- apocalyptic literature, but you're not reading a chronological account often when you're reading apocalyptic literature. Yeah, uh, it's important to understand that. It's 
it's not meant to be you know history in advance Mm -hmm. or like you're looking you know through the time machine into history as it's to come and you got to figure out where you're at and and now you know what's next Mm -hmm. it's meant to give symbolic vivid imagery of of things that that are to happen not necessarily chronologically but but to see Mm -hmm. it and picture it from angles and in a certain way um so with that the last two we want to we want to talk about um wisdom literature is another category Mm -hmm. um you know you think of the books of of the psalms proverbs the book of job ecclesiastes things like that and and these books have their own certain um style nuances nuances yep so so for example like the book of proverbs um it's a unique book in the bible it's it's clearly for the purpose of of um of of how to to live godly lives it's practical wisdom for for daily wisdom wisdom the book of proverbs it opens and it says um you know at the proverbs of solomon verse two it says to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness justice and equity to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth um th- that's the purpose of these these proverbs of solomon it, it's to, to have wisdom and guidance in daily life, uh, in living righteously and bringing justice and bringing equity um, in the world, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's kind of the purpose of the Proverbs. And as you read through them, that, that is one um, specific thing where you will see that a- as you get into some of the Proverbs, they're, they're not necessarily connected to the whole book, but you do have some individual verses mm-hmm. and they're intended to be that way. And, and yep. I think really they're intended for like, quick memory mm-hmm. um and to express these truths in a in a easy and, and simple way mm-hmm. um so that's that's a bit about proverbs you look at psalms um and this is kind of like th- it's a little bit like the worship book mm-hmm. uh it, it's a little bit like a worship instructional in the old testament people would use it um uh for for the purpose of, of singing hymns in the temple um when gathered in the assembly the, the people of god would would sing these Oftentimes they come in the form of, of prayers, um, but but they often convey, you know, th- these expressions of of praise to God, express the expressions of cries to God for deliverance, and you know one of the things that I just I love about reading the Psalms is that it, there's so much honesty mm-hmm. by the authors, like it, it's genuine expression of um, the honest feelings often of the psalmist an yeah. expression of trust in god in the midst of those so for example you know even there's a lot of genres even within the psalms yeah uh, right. the, you know there's a lot of psalms of praise you know like your psalm in in psalm 35 was was a cry for god to bring justice against wickedness and against evil in the world and in the life of david uh, and oftentimes you see the psalmist just expressing like a need and a dependence on god and there's just there's so much honesty there that it's just it's really it's really refreshing it is to read the other thing too about wisdom literature too is sometimes you're going to read things that look contradictory and the passage that comes to mind right away is proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5 where it says answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself and then verse 5 it says answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes and it's important to know that part of wisdom literature is they're not putting forth theological statements or mm-hmm. absolute truths quite often. 
they're talking about wisdom. So in that case, talking about how we can talk with people who, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there was this category of fools, uh, and how can we engage with them, and how can we rightly point them to God? Mm-hmm. And you know, for another example, like in the, in the wisdom in the wisdom literature, there's often, you know, you know, one thing I think of is like in Proverbs, it'll say, you know, it'll give what what seems like some sort of promise, like like the righteous, yeah. you know, it'll say in other words, yep. but but the righteous will have blessing and wealth, yeah. and this and that, right? Yep. Um, and that that's a general truism, mm-hmm. you know. Th- it, certainly, there there is blessing and obedience to God, and, and um, there's different ways in which that comes. But there's also the reality that that's not always the case. Yep. That's generally true. It's not always the case. And there's books like, you know, and even within the wisdom literature itself, like the Book of Job or the Book of Ecclesiastes, you know, express like, actually, no. Sometimes the righteous suffer, and sometimes the wicked prosper. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those books help us to deal with and understand those kind of things. Yep. Um, now now Proverbs gives us generally, you know you know true things, and of course we take it take it seriously. You know we see that we're Definitely. called called to righteousness. We're called to righteous living, and there's this promise of blessing, you know, to righteous. And, and you know there there's terms synonymous with with blessing, like having money or, or having having wealth, I should say, or, or, or living to an old age, yep. stuff like that. And, and what it's really conveying is that there's promise of blessing in obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's not, you know, an absolute promise that, okay, if you live a certain type of life, you're going to live to your old age or you're going to acquire a bunch of wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, there is the reality in the world that sometimes um, the righteous suffer often. The righteous suf- suffer sometimes the wicked prosper um, and in, in uh, really in the larger biblical story, we know that like we look forward to the return of Christ, uh, his coming again, and, and God making all things right and, and bringing justice against wickedness and against sin and against evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, vindicating and justifying and, and blessing and honoring his people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is that is the ultimate promise. That's the ultimate blessing we look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the wisdom literature, sometimes there's, uh, it's it's important to understand that mm-hmm. aspect of them, okay. um, and it's important to understand again that, you know, the primary purpose is you know, uh, for example, in in the Psalms, mm-hmm. um, is expressing praise, thanksgiving to God. Um, in the Proverbs, it's it's wisdom mm-hmm. for for daily living. You know, Job deals with the, the issue of of evil mm-hmm. and of suffering, um, and, and you know, Job is kind of an example for us of a a righteous sufferer. Yep. Um, Ecclesiastes kind of takes that that similar, you know, s- some takes that same frame yeah. that sometimes things don't always happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's a bit of a, you know, and we're going through these genres so quickly. Yeah. You know, you'd love to spend more time doing them, but hopefully this is helpful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the last one that we really talked about, and there's, you could subdivide these and talk about more of them. You could talk about, you know, the law of Moses. Yep. Um, what kind of, how should we be reading that mm-hmm. and stuff like that? Um, the last one we're going to talk about are Paul's epistles. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the easiest for Paul's us. Paul's either. Oh yeah, Paul's yeah. Just epistles and epistles. Middle. So Hebrews, James, which is um, a, just John. a letter. Yeah, just just, letter. just means a letter. So you know these these also had a similar context. So you know Paul he's writing two churches, mm-hmm. and oftentimes there's an occasion for his writing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's something going on. So you think of Galatians. You know there's the the Judaizers that are coming in saying, no, if you're going to be saved, you have to be circumcised. You have to be brought into the old covenant. 
then to be brought into the new covenant. And Paul writes this letter responding to that. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful defense of the gospel and of justification by faith alone. And, and it shows, you know, Paul's zeal for the one true gospel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so so that you, you see clearly the occasion for Paul's writing. It helps you to understand the book. Uh, you see, you know, in the book of Romans that Paul's never been there. So he lays out a lot of mm-hmm. a, a lot of a, a systematic view of, of the gospel somewhat what you know the problem of sin the mm-hmm. universality of sin um justification by faith mm-hmm. in christ the implications of that that we are at peace with god that there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus mm-hmm. at the end of romans 8 that no one can separate us from the love of christ romans 9 through 11 he deals with um you know the the, the relationship between israel and the gentiles and, and he talks some about about some more of the ways god works in salvation and um that that's where you know it's helpful to understand that to understand romans you know you think of corinthians he's writing Mm -hmm. to the the corinthian church which has all these problems and he wants to help give them instruction in dealing with these problems and how to act like like christians how they're supposed to act Mm -hmm. so so yeah that that, you know the epistles are kind of the easiest ones for us to read they're Mm -hmm. they're straightforward they're instructional it's not you know paul is not you know writing the the expressive poetry that we see in Isaiah that we see in mm-hmm. so many of the Psalms there's not a ton of literary devices but there's a lot of straightforward didactic mm-hmm. style yeah. uh, just teaching and instruction and, and putting forth propositional truths mm-hmm. essentially yeah. yeah so that that you know is is a quick overview of mm-hmm. of context what and genre what we call quick yeah <laughs> maybe uh, a little long you could well yeah you could you could talk so much about those yeah. and how to read them and how to understand them. Um, what we would encourage you guys to do, yeah. please, uh, just some some tips in this. First of all, as you study the Bible this way, like you you begin to just grasp much more of it, and it becomes much easier. Mm-hmm. It becomes much easier. So yeah. I would one th- one thing I would do first of all is to to look for resources like the Bible Project mm-hmm. um, to to try to find you know understandings of context. Another great resource to do this is is, is get a study Bible. Yep. You know, I have the the ESV Study Bible. I've had an NIV Life Application one, and they're they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they will give you so much information about the context. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually, before each book, they'll have maybe a page to two pages of some of the historical background. Who was this written to? Who wrote it? Why? Yeah. Which is very helpful when understanding. Very helpful. So yeah, please, if you if is something you're you know, studying studying the Bible is a bit difficult for you, or you've never done it a whole lot. Please get a study Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's people that study the Bible their whole lives that are that are producing these, and and they're they're really really good. Um, you know, otherwise too, you know, if you're especially a younger person or a younger Christian, ask your pastor, mm-hmm. ask an older Christian that you know and that you trust, mm-hmm. um, that that you see living a godly life, walking with Jesus. Ask them to help you to understand these things mm-hmm. and, and to teach you about, about doctrine and about theology and about how to study the Bible. Um, man, like we just, one thing Josh and I know both of us are super thankful for, but we have older, older mm-hmm. men in our church, our, our pastor that we spend a lot of time with and that, that helps, helps us to, to, to teach us things. Yep. Um, and even especially when we were young Christians, we had a, people more mature than us that help, helped us to understand theology. Yep. And, and you know, the, the church 
in general has been studying the Bible for centuries. Mm-hmm. And God has p- produced brilliant people mm-hmm. um, that, that find nuance and, and, and wonderful things in his word and help us to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so please use some of those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? And otherwise too, if you're really looking to understand a book, buy, buy commentaries on mm-hmm. it. There's, there's people that will help you to understand and write that write commentaries on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are great resources. Yeah. And if you're wanting to learn about a specific <coughs> subject or topic, there's probably a good biblical, biblically backed book that will explain that. For instance, yeah. Uh, one of the books we read last semester for our classes was about what is the role of men and women in the church? Mm-hmm. And that's a topic that the Bible teaches about. And we read that book and they basically went through all of the passages where we can glean, you know, what was the role of the woman of men and women in the old Testament? How does that kind of show us what their role might be in the new Testament? And what does Paul uh, and even Jesus talk about the role of women in the church in the new Testament? Yep. And that's an excellent example. Um, you know, one thing, another thing that, that, you know, we've been reading a little bit this summer and getting some of our material from, like, uh, Wayne Grudem writes a book, A Systematic yeah. Theology. And it, 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 it's just a collection of what the Bible teaches on so many different topics and doctrine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's, um, it, it teaches about the many different aspects of salvation you know, regeneration, mm-hmm. justification, sanctification, all of those things. You know, it teaches about baptism. It teaches about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it teaches us about the character of God that's revealed in the Bible. It teaches us about the character of man that's revealed in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of things. And it, it's just a summary of biblical doctrine mm-hmm. uh, and, and passages throughout the Bible that teach on this issue. Mm-hmm. So those are great resources to, to help you guys understand the Bible and, and please be encouraged. Yes. Um, that this is a blessing. Yes. This is a wonderful blessing. It is, a, it is a great, and it should be a great joy to delight in and to study God's word. Um, and, and to, to know it more deeply, to know the context, which it arises in, to know the genre that, that, that the book you're studying falls under mm-hmm. and to know and, and see the character of God in his word and and to be encouraged by the goodness of God, Mm -hmm. the sovereignty of God, uh, the many different aspects of God's character that should encourage us and do encourage us when we read his word. So thank you guys for, for listening to this episode. Um, we'll be back with, uh, I don't know what our next episode is going to be, but we're going to continue on this, on this topic of, of reading and understanding the Bible. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll see you soon.